Hello, this is Donna Jackson Nakazawa, and today we'll be mapping female stress immune response on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with my friend Donna Jackson Nakazawa. Donna Jackson Nakazawa is an award-winning science journalist, author of seven books, and an internationally recognized speaker whose work explores the intersection of neuroscience, immunology, and human emotion. In addition to appearing on Today, NPR, NBC, and ABC, Donna keynotes conferences and teaches workshops for practitioners, educators, and physicians at major universities, hospitals, nonprofits, schools, and advocacy groups. Her upcoming book, Girls on the Brink, Helping Our Daughters Thrive in an Era of Increased Anxiety, Depression, and Social Media, is available for pre-order now. Donna, congratulations on another phenomenal and important body of work and the release of Girls on the Brink, and welcome back to the 15-Minute Matrix. Oh, Andrea, it's always such a pleasure to be here with you. You know, you and I could talk all day, but in 15 minutes, we're going to fit it all in. It's true. It's true. We can talk all day, and I love when we get to talk about your work, your important work, and the intersections of our work. And I want to dive in and discuss the female stress immune response. But before we do, I want to ask you to speak into Growing Up Female. The first chapter of the book is entitled Our girls are not okay? Why are so many of our daughters struggling? And I'd love, Donna, for you to share some of what you found. Why are so many of our daughters struggling? Can you walk us through some of the recent research findings? Yeah. Well, first of all, just girls by the numbers can really paint a picture very quickly. You know, one in three girls by the age of 17 now report symptoms of major depression. It's just not you know, feeling bad about finals or a breakup. It's weeks where you don't want to get out of bed or you lose interest in your normal activities. And we know that there's a growing gap between the wellness of girls and the wellness of boys when it comes to mental health. For instance, one in four girls now face depression through adolescence compared to one in 10 boys. Recently, over the past year, the CDC reported that the suicide rate among girls has risen 51% 
compared to 4% in boys. Now we love boys too. I'm the mother of a son and the mother of a daughter. And I know you're the mother of a wonderful son. And we love boys as much as we love girls, but there's long been this difference across puberty between how girls do and how boys do in terms of mental health. And over the past 15 years, those numbers have just increased and that gap is widening. So I know you asked why, why, why? I want to know that too. And when I turn to the top neurobiologists in the world, most of whom are kick butt female neurobiologists, the first thing I learned is that we're just asking this question. It won't surprise you with the work that you do and your fund of knowledge to hear that it's only very recently that we looked at the intersection of stress across health and development for girls as they reach puberty in a female research model. All of this research that I've reported on all these years and talked to you about, about the intersection of stress and development have all been done on preclinical research done in male animal and translational models. Mm, There's so much to unpack there. I have so many questions based on what you said. I mean, first of all, what is precipitating that shift in the research? Is it these female researchers who are starting to ask, wait a minute, we don't even understand a part of the population. What's making us finally wake up and look through a different lens? Well, I think it's a couple of things. It's more women leading their own labs at major research institutions. It's also the fact that in 2016, the NIH put forth a request asking that female research models be used in research on stress in the brain in neuroscience and immunology. And it's also the fact that these numbers cry for answers. You can no longer do research on stress and the brain and the nervous system and use models, which as researchers have said in the past, we need to keep those pesky hormones out of it. And it turns out that when we look at those pesky hormones, we find that that immune boost that estrogen packs, which you and I have talked about in earlier podcasts. So just to review, estrogen is this great groovy thing, right? It's a master hormone. It not only is responsible for bringing in all of those changes we think of that girls go through across puberty, it also is a master regulator in the brain. It's helping synapses connect. It's helping everything to wire up and fire up really nicely. And it also helps females, estrogen, have a boost so that in the face of any kind of outside stressor or insult, environmental insult, when we're looking at, you know, those environmental inputs in people's lives, anything from infections to vaccines to emotional stress, estrogen adds this immune womp. It's an amplifier to allow the stress response to come in in a way that is ideally more protective. And of course, you're going to ask me why. And the real short answer 
is it allows women to do so much more and be healthy, even though we're in smaller bodies with smaller organs and we have to make room to carry a baby in the uterus. It's an evolutionary advantage. But what these researchers are finding is that in the face of unrelenting and toxic stress, where the toxic level of stress does not end, this evolutionary advantage becomes a disadvantage. And that lump that you get from hormones when you're female actually turns into a negative with an overproduction of stress hormones and all the other things that we know over time break down the body and brain. Okay, so much to talk about here in terms of the hormones and puberty, and that's why everybody needs to get their hands on this book, whether they are the mothers of girls or not. We need to bring this understanding forward. But you talked about unrelenting, toxic stress, and you also mentioned emotional stress. And when I think through triggers, before we even touch on the hormones and their ability to bring resilience or contribute to stress hormones, are we seeing that the toxic stress on girls is different today, even than when we grew up, Donna? Yeah. And that's another reason I wrote this book. It's not just the new research. It's that everything that we might have learned growing up as girls that we would want to help in terms of raising our own children the playing field has completely changed. We did not grow up in the era of social media. We didn't grow up with online news, much of which is so misogynistic and gendered in terms of how we see girls. We didn't grow up being liked and disliked and critiqued online 24 hours a day for how we look. Imagine growing up if there were this thing called TikTok where, you know, the more clothes you took off, the more popular you were, whereas this at the same time, the more likely you were to get these horrifying comments from men and boys. So we put girls in this double bind and that double bind has always been there, right? You've got to grow up as a female and you've got to mature really early and you've got to be sexy and attractive and you've got to be popular, but at the same time, not too much because then, you know, of course you might invite, I put air quote marks, you know, sexual harassment or being raped or all of this double bind, be cool, be sexy, be social but not too much because we're standing right over here to blame and shame you if you are. And also be successful and smart and be able to achieve. I mean, it's like double standard at the base. And then on top of this, all this other pressure to come forward and be successful. Yes. And be successful it doesn't mean what it used to mean. I mean, one of the things I write about is that we've really taken away what we call girls in between years. And what do I mean by that when I say girls in between years? I mean those years between seven and 13 where girls were largely able to come of age and develop in a stress-free environment. And now during that time, girls have Apple Watches where they see 60,000 images a day of what girls are supposed to look like and sound like and do. And they're being carted, not just to sports practice, but club sports. And they, you know, middle school is the new high school. 
and you've got to get into the right college. If you, if you haven't seen that trend in raising kids today where everything has moved two to three years earlier in that competitive hierarchy, both online, academically, socially, and in terms of all of the other activities in kids' lives, you must be living on an island in the middle of nowhere. Now, what's really interesting is that girls in general are going through puberty a few years earlier than in the past. Yes. So let's just marry together these various complicated threads we've been talking about, but let me do it in really simple terms. As girls go through puberty earlier, they end as all of these stressors come at them earlier, all the ones we've just talked about from social media to school shootings to academics being ramped up at earlier ages, All this stress is pouring into the female brain as estrogen comes in, but the brain, the areas of the brain that put stressors and social-emotional cues in context are not fired and wired up yet. Mm -hmm. And you've got this added rush of estrogen amplifying stress hormones in the face of these stressors. So the brain is getting remodeled during puberty based on how stressful an individual, a girl or boy, thinks the world they're growing up into is going to be. And yet, all of this is happening now at earlier ages on a timeline, which is too soon for the brain to make sense of it, including how do I ask for help? what's really serious and what's not, what matters here, and how do I deal with being disliked or put down or made fun of or left out or not getting the prize, you know, or not getting into this college or whatever it might be. It's all happening in the brain in what we call an evolutionary mismatch for the brain's intended healthy response to stress and what's actually happening for girls now. This is so critical. And I remember, Donna, originally talking to you when you were first on your brink of doing this research and your passion for really uncovering some of these pieces that you're bringing to us now in the new book. And it's so huge. And I'm wondering, we're looking at this evolutionary mismatch between the brain and the neurohormones and the sex hormones and development and the external environment. How does that whole confluence impact the immune system? Well, you know as well as I do that when you have that kind of unmitigated stress response, the immune system becomes more inflammatory. We all know our immune system is just so wonderful and lovely in the time we're talking. It's doing so many good things for us. But when that kind of unrelenting stress keeps happening, the immune system goes into overdrive. And this is particularly true in the face of social and emotional stress. Well, why would that be? Because let's jump way back, and I mean way back across evolutionary time, we evolved as humans in hunter-gatherer tribes so that at the very first sign of social stress, our immune system would rev up into overdrive. Well, why? 
because way back then, being dissed or dismissed or even looked at funny by the tribe, all social and emotional cues, those were your warning sign that you were about to be put at the edge of the tribe or even ostracized. At the edge of the tribe, you're more vulnerable to marauding tribes out there or predators who might want to take a bite out of you or having less food and less to drink, less berries and tubers. And if you're fully ostracized, it's open season. The elements, predators, any kind of bad thing that would happen to you will lead you to be wounded. So our immune systems over time have evolved so that social and emotional stressors create this enormous response in the immune system to prepare for physical harm. It's so, I mean, I don't know what to say, Donna. Like, it's just so profound to think about these cycles. And from where I sit as a practitioner, you know, who trains other practitioners and looking at the state, not just of our research, but of our health care, particularly of girls, we are taught that we are broken, right? And once we're taught that we're broken, we think the solution only exists outside of us, not in us. And that I can only imagine contributes to this cycle of looking to social media, of looking to who's getting it right, who has it better than I do, what's their solution. And that just continues the stress response that's leading to this immune response. So I don't know, I'm just reflecting on that as I'm listening to you, Donna. And I guess I'm my question for you is, what are we seeing? Are we seeing autoimmunity at earlier ages? Are we seeing, what are we seeing happen as a result of this impact? on the immune system. In the past 10 years, also a group of kick-butt female neurobiologists have come to find that the immune system is really also overseeing our synaptic wiring in the brain, right? These tiny little cells called glia are in the brain. They're like your white blood cells in the body. And glia cells decide whether or not to make healthy synaptic connections or over prune necessary and needed synapses. So when we see this unrelenting stress in girls' lives and they're online and getting all these messages, do more, do better, look better, be better now, um, we can also see changes in the brain, which happen because the immune system in the brain takes out these necessary and needed synapses. So to answer your question, we see a host of things which are related to this less than ideal wiring up in the brain, depression, mood disorders, anxiety. We see also behavioral patterns, self-harm, fatigue, lots of other immune-mediated disorders. So we've known for a long time that women under stress are more likely to have autoimmune conditions. You and I know this really well, (laughs) the autoimmune epidemic, and you and I have lived it. And honestly, why wouldn't that also be the case in girls? Right. Everything's starting earlier. So when I think about what we do about it, Donna, I love that research is happening. I love that you have written this book and that we can be more aware of it. But 
I know that you write in the book how we as parents, but also we as practitioners, may be overconfident in our ability to see that the girls in our lives are struggling. What can we do about that? Right. So, you know, this research has been done mostly on parents, but many parents in studies have said, oh, sure, I'd be able to tell if my daughter was really struggling. But in fact, it's hard to distinguish true struggling from normal mood ups and downs. And half of all parents miss it when their child is having suicidal ideation. I don't say that to scare anybody, just that it's really hard to understand how much is going on in a child's mind unless we really change our way of communicating with them so that they feel completely safe and connected. And what does that mean? It means for us, whether we're parents or practitioners, changing the relationship so that we are doing the listening so that that young girl can tell us anything and feel safe without fear of being blamed, shamed, judged, or in any other way not seen. The one predictor, the number one predictor, there are many, but the number one predictor of how well girls do is that they have an adult to whom they can say anything. Now, ideally, that's a parent, right? But sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it is a health coach. Sometimes it's what I call in the book an avatar. And I use that word in its oldest sense from the Hindu, somebody who is here on this earth to help a young person grow and become their best possible self. Avatars are grown-up women in girls' lives who emulate the kinds of strength and ability to speak their minds and live in a way that is not reactive to all of these stressors, but to be kind of kick butt and push back on those stressors in their own lives and to be an avatar who's actually able to model that, but also see a girl for where she is in the moment. Hey, seems like you're struggling. You know, I'm here to listen. Do less of the talking, more of the listening. Don't jump in as the detective, the fixer, or the judge. Make that essential safe connection so that you can be an avatar in a girl's life to whom she can tell how she's really feeling. For me, that feels like a key takeaway, especially in a current healthcare climate that is so focused on the fix, the fix, the fix, the fix, the fix, that that ability to hold that space is critical. But Donna, if there's anything else that you wish we as practitioners, as coaches, as clinicians knew based on this body of work and this research, what would that be? What could we be doing differently to hold space for this reality and start to shift it? I think the biggest thing I would say for a practitioner audience is this. We have to normalize behavioral health therapy. We have to normalize talk therapy. We have to be modeling 
and making normal the idea of talking to someone about your feelings. So practitioners are often in a position to be able to say, okay, I think that this beautiful young woman I've been working with is not surprisingly feeling the weight of the times we're in, all the things that we just talked about. And we have to normalize therapy so that it's like, hey, I go to a therapist, you go to a therapist, we all go to go to talk to somebody to help us through our feelings. And to be able to model that as a society too often as girls are entering puberty and going through adolescence, the world around them shames therapy. You hear girls and their parents saying things like, oh, she had to go to therapy. You know, we have to change the way in which we look at that. And then of course, I know what you're going to say. It's hard to get kids into therapy. There aren't enough therapists. It costs money. So I can't fix everything, (laughs) (laughs) but I can bring it to everyone's attention that that is really one of the things that I truly believe in. We shouldn't have to have a diagnosis for a 12-year-old to need to go to therapy for therapy to be something that would help young people in that look around you people look at the times we're living in it's it's just very much the case the earlier we catch kids the more we can help them and by therapy i don't mean you know over medicalizing something i mean thinking about the idea that our kids are in a world which is so ridiculously over-the-top stressful that they may need more than what we're giving them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can all bring a piece of it to the table. I always say I'm not a therapist. I don't want to be. I'm so grateful that I can refer out. And we can all bring a little bit of that ear and that support and that suggestion to those that we are serving, whether that girl is seeing an acupuncturist or a nutritionist or a dietitian, we can be thinking through the lens of what else does this person need, this girl need from me? And how do I bring some of what you're talking about, Donna, that listening, that truly hearing, that not trying to fix all the time, which only promotes the idea that they're broken. Right. And, you know, I have hundreds of scripts in the book for how to really lean in to being a safe, attuned, connected presence with girls during this period of time. Because we all know that when we sense a young person is struggling, a lot of our brain goes offline, right? We get worried and it's hard to know how to do and say the right thing, especially if we're under stress, which we all are. And just having some of those scripts close to mind to be able to use. And there's one other thing I would really emphasize here. None of us are in this alone, even parents who are listening. I bet a lot of your your practitioners are also parents We're not in it alone. There's an awful lot of pressure on moms to make the perfect kid. And moms and women in general tend to ruminate more than men about parenting. And that rumination is often like self-flagellation, like I'm not doing a good enough job, or this is on me, or I messed it up, or I need to do more. And really, we're trying to run it and not 
keep adopting this idea that we're in it alone. Parents are in it with teachers. Teachers are in it with practitioners. Practitioners are in it with mental health professionals. We aren't going to change this unless we all rewrite our scripts. Mm, So beautiful, Donna. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I want to encourage everybody to get their hands on Girls on the Brink, helping our daughters thrive in an era of increased anxiety, depression, and social media. Available now, hot off the presses. And Donna, I'm so excited for you, for this work, and for all that you're bringing forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. I always love talking to you. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our full body systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.